Brethren, I invite you to turn in your copy of the Scriptures to Psalm 34, our text today. Psalm 34. I'll be reading the psalm in its entirety. Psalm 34, a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, (coughs) who drove him away and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we give thought to the days in which we live. We have many concerns. And yet your scriptures teach us that you love those who are of a humble spirit and a contrite heart. Those who seek your help in time of trouble. That you deliver them completely. That you put down the wicked and condemn them. And you raise up to your right hand those who are of a contrite heart, who are poor in spirit, because we are called joint heirs with Jesus Christ who sits at your right hand. Father, may these truths comfort us greatly in times of trouble. May we always seek your face. May we always speak the truth in love and not turn from it, Lord. Help us not to look upon the days in which we live 
and desire the things of the world to fix them, but rather desire service before your face and trust you for the increase. Father in heaven, your Son is our champion. He endured the cross and the sin that was poured out on Him from us. He endured that cross and rose the third day for our justification. And for that, we are most grateful. Help us to look to Him as our champion in these days as well. And we ask this in His name and for His sake. Amen. Brethren, last week I mentioned that I'm going to be teaching, preaching on various passages that relate to some of the, the ills that we are experiencing these days. Today I'm going to speak about primarily the church. And you'll know why in just a few moments. But by way of introduction, I want to, make, want to start with a quote, not from the Scriptures, but rather from our current president. Quote, I want to fundally, fundamentally transform America. End quote. So said Barack Obama as he sought votes in 2008 leading up to the presidential election. To be sure, brethren, this nation, along with most nations of the world, if not all of them, need to be fundamentally transformed. However, the kind of transformation we are experiencing into greater sin and avarice is not the need of the day. Far from it. The fundamental transformation that is needed is the embracing of God's ways, His truth and His righteousness, His holy word and all that it teaches. Now we often wring our hands as we see our civil leaders conniving to break their bonds from God and cast away their cords from the Holy One of God as Psalm 2 teaches us. We are undoubtedly witnessing before us those who are plotting a vain thing, Psalm 2.1, and they have no idea of the judgment that is at the door. You see, the rulers of this world have believed their own lie. They have ignored the God of the universe and taught their subjects to believe there is no God, or if there is a God, he is impotent and detached from all reality. There are consequences to, to such teaching and the policies and laws that flow from it. Yet the rulers of this day, they are not wise. Have they considered kissing the son lest he be angry and they perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little? Psalm 2.12 Hardly. Has not the God of the universe given the nations of the world to his son, the Holy One of Israel, as an inheritance? Do they acknowledge that? Seldom. Has not all authority been ceded to Jesus Christ, both in heaven and earth? Indeed it has. But who in the halls of justice recognize that? Who speak of it? Who teach about it? Brethren, given the tenacious desire of Jesus to, to follow the decree of the Father, even unto death, to redeem this fallen world for the Father, do we think Jesus will be any less tenacious in subduing the nations under the authority of God the Father? 
The scriptures teach us that Jesus shall remain at the right hand of the Father, the place of strength, the place of might and judgment, until Christ's enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Many years ago, I preached from Isaiah 30, where an ominous prophecy is given to the unfaithful chosen people of God, the people of Israel. God was warning them that to embrace the world when he has called them to live in righteousness only invites his wrath. But we must not forget the Apostle Peter's admonition in 1 Peter 4.17. There we read, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? This brings me to the subject matter of today's sermon. Judgment begins here with us. The end of which, though, is beautiful and sustaining and encouraging. Uh, uh, And as we'll see in just a few moments, a time of rejoicing. But before we go there, I want to read this passage from Isaiah 30. We're going to read the entire chapter. It's a bit lengthy, but I think as you hear it, you'll understand its importance given the days in which we live. Isaiah 30, beginning in verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hannes. They were all ashamed of a people who could not benefit them, or be help or benefit, but ashamed and also a reproach. The burden against the beasts of the south through the land of trouble and anguish from which came the lioness and the lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches on the backs of young donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to the people who shall not profit. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore I have called her Rahab Hemshebeth. Now go, write it before them on a tablet, and note it on a scroll, that it may be for a time to come, forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say that the seers do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a branch ready to fall 
a bulge in a high wall, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and shall break it like the breaking of the potter's vessel, which is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so there shall not be found among its fragments, a shard to, make, to take fire from the earth, or to take water from the cistern. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. And you said, No, for we will flee on horses. Therefore you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses. Therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one. And the threat of five shall flee till you are left as a pole on the top of a mountain, as a banner on a hill. Therefore the Lord will wait that He may be gracious to you, and therefore He will be exalted that He may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for Him, for the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. And when He hears it, He will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, you will also defile the converting of your images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold, you will throw them away as an unclean thing. You will say to them, get away. Then He will give the rain for your seed with which you sow the ground and the bread of increase of the earth. It will be fat and plentiful in that day. Your cattle will feed in large pastures. Likewise, the oxen and the young donkeys that work the ground will eat cured fodder which has been winnowed with the shovel and fan. There will be on a very high mountain and on a very high hill rivers and streams of waters in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold. And the light of seven days in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of His people and heals the stroke of their wound. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger, and his burden is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream, which reaches up to the neck, to sift the nations with the sieve of futility. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. You shall have a song, as in the night when a holy festival is kept, and gladness of heart is when one goes with a flute to come into the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel. The Lord will cause His glorious voice to be heard and show the descent of His arm with the indignation of His anger and the flame of devouring fire with scattering tempest and hailstones. For through the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be beaten down as He strikes it with a rod. And in every place where the staff of punishment passes, which the Lord lays on him, 
It will be with tambourines and harps. And in battles of brandishing, he will fight with it. For Tophet was established of old. Yes, for the king it is prepared. He has made it deep and large. Its pyre is fire with much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a string of brimstone, kindles it. Brethren, I read that passage because this is how God deals with the nations who afflict His people. But it's also how God deals with His people who fail to remain faithful to Him. Here we see God's first cleansing His people by burning away the dross and scrubbing them with the launderer's soap to borrow the phrases from Malachi's prophecy as I mentioned last week. Brethren, for decades we have seen the bulge on the high wall that has suddenly come crashing down. God has shown us that we must in all our ways embrace His righteousness and cast off our idolatries. When God has purged from us our unbelief, which He is still in the process of doing, He shall turn His mighty indignation on the wicked nations of the world. Here again the description of God's pouring out His anger on the wicked nations of the world. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with His anger, and His burden is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and His tongue like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream which reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of futility. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. Both in Isaiah 30 and Psalm 34, we see a comfort in resting in God's promises in the midst of His mighty hand of judgment. In Psalm 34, we read, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him will be condemned. And also in Isaiah 30 we read, You shall have a song as in the night when a holy festival is kept. Now, brethren, this is in the midst of affliction. God is saying you will have a song as in the night when a festival is being kept. Gladness of heart as when one goes with a flute to come into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty one of Israel. The Lord will cause, cause His glorious voice to be heard and show the descent of His arm. With the indignation of his anger and the flame of a devouring fire, with scattering tempests and hailstones. In the midst of all of that judgment, God will give us a song to sing. How can that be? How is it that in the midst of trials and tribulations, we're supposed to rejoice? Isn't that Paul's admonition to us from Ephesians? Rejoice always, even I say rejoice. How can we do that in the midst of affliction? This also reminds me of the prophet Habakkuk, who when revealed to him that he was, God was sending a more wicked people to judge the wicked Israelites, Habakkuk commissioned a hymn to be written and played by the chief musician, by the way, with stringed instruments. 
Here Habakkuk's being told, I am going to judge the people of Israel. God's telling this Himself. And what does Habakkuk do? He writes a hymn. And he makes sure that the chief musician knows that it's to be played with string instruments. Do you know the words of that hymn? Let me recite them to you. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and He will make me walk on high hills. And then the command at the end, to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Is that how we, how we look upon the circumstances in which we're in? Do we look on it with the idea it's time to sing? Or do we moan and bewail our circumstance? That's what I do. I'm going to confess that here in a minute in large measure. Brethren, there are many lessons in these passages today that warrant careful scrutiny. Time does not permit me to plumb the depths of these many powerful words of God, but there are three lessons I want to bring to the fore. First, God does not want us to equivocate regarding our belief in Him being our champion in the face of adversity. We are not to equivocate on that. To equivocate is to not trust in His power to overthrow wickedness. And it is unbelief. It is the double-mindedness spoken against in Psalm 119, verse 13, in James 1.8 and James 4.8. God wants our belief to be firm, to be resolute, to be purposeful, to be cast on His Son without wavering, even in the midst of great adversity. Second, not only are we to believe and trust in God's ability to overthrow the wicked in judgment, throwing off unbelief and equivocation, we are to rejoice with songs and praise to God, as I've mentioned already. Habakkuk 3, Psalm 34, 1-6, and Isaiah 30, verse 29. This singing and rejoicing is a sign of fear, of the fear of God, and the understanding of His might, His powerful might, His outstretched arm. Such fear produces a faithful peace. Get this. When we fear God as we ought, it produces in us a form of peace. Because we learn to trust in His might and not our own. We learn to trust in His ability to save and not trust in our own strength. Isaiah 30.15 reads, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. Rest in what? In returning to whom? God, the God who has created all things and sustains them and governs them 
to the minutest detail. He knows the hairs on your head and the sparrows that fall from the skies. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Is that how we respond to the circumstances in which we live? With quiet, confident strength. Not in ourselves, but as we return and rest in the One who governs all things. That is the sovereign hand of God that should produce in us the peace that passes understanding. That God governs these things and is working His purposes to His appropriate ends. These thoughts are echoed in Psalm 37 with great clarity. And there we read verses 7-11, through Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. We're not to fret because of that. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. These are the words of God by, by and through the psalmist. In the midst of these difficulties, we're not to become angry or fret. That's hard for us to, to embrace, isn't it? Isn't that hard to embrace? For evildoers shall be cut off, verse 9, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Doesn't that sound like a sermon that Jesus preached in the early days of his ministry? The meek shall inherit the earth. Brethren, peaceful confidence should be the portion of those in the midst of adversity, those who fear the Lord. Not that we should delight in the fierce judgment of God, but we should never question that it shall come on all who practice ungodliness. God does all His holy will for the glory of His holy name and the good of His people. Now third, as we have read, judgment begins at the house of God. Just as just this week, a bill that was introduced in the state of Ohio to protect Christian pastors and their churches from having to participate in sodomite marriages was blocked from a vote in committee by a very vocal minority. Let me say that again. A bill was introduced into the state legislature in the state of Ohio. It was committed to a committee, which all bills are, as it was to be brought to a vote to go out a committee to the floor of the legislature, a very vocal minority who didn't want to protect pastors or churches that refused to participate in sodomite marriages, it was blocked by a minority. Additionally to that, our president has made it clear that he will spare no effort in forcing upon this nation and all of its institutions, including the church, an agenda that promotes sodomy, threatening to withdraw tax exemption for churches who do not comply. Now, my first reaction was to appeal to the First Amendment of our Constitution. Here's my confession. Shame on me. Shame on me. 
my first response should have been to sing Psalm 2 or Psalm 34 or Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, or a plethora of other passages that speak truth and light into this darkness. I suspect my response would have been the same for most, if not all of you. Brethren, the church does not exist because of the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And it never has. The church exists because Jesus Christ died for it and rose the third day to justify it. The church of Jesus Christ towers over the kingdoms of men and their feeble constitutions, including our own. And it is is this proclamation that I believe our God desires us to say loudly to our nation. We have no king but Jesus Christ, and this nation belongs to him. He died for it, and he was given it as part of his inheritance by the Father. We must acknowledge and rest in that fact and act accordingly. Brethren, the days are growing short when faithful pastors and elders of the church will be specific targets of Christ's enemies. I have little doubt that absent a mighty reformation by the Spirit of God, my ministry will one day be a prison ministry. But our passage tells us how we are to respond. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Let us pray together.